Chapter 14 of Fantomas by Marcella Lane and Pierre Sylvestre. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Alan Winterout. Fantomas by Marcella Lane and Pierre Sylvestre. Translated by Cranston Metcalf. Chapter 14 Mademoiselle Jeanne. After she had so roughly disposed of the enterprising Henri Verbier, whose most unseemly advances had so greatly scandalized her, Mademoiselle Jeanne took to her heels, directly she was out of sight of the Royal Palace Hotel, and ran like one possessed. She stood for a moment in the brilliantly lighted, traffic-crowded Avenue Vagram, shaking with excitement and with palpitating heart, and then mechanically hailed a passing cab and told the driver to take her toward the Bois. There she gave another heedless order to go to the Boulevard Saint-Denis, but as the cab approached the Place de la Toile, she realized that she was once more near the Royal Palace Hotel, and stopping the driver by the tram lines, she dismissed him and got into a tram that was going to the station of Autreux. It was just half-past eleven when she reached the station. "'When is the next train for Saint-Lazare?' she asked. She learned that one was starting almost at once, and hurriedly taking a second-class ticket, she jumped into a lady's carriage and went as far as Courcelles. There she alighted, went out of the station, looked around her for a minute or two to get her bearings, and then walked slowly toward the Rue Eugène Flachet. She hesitated a second, and then walked firmly toward a particular house and rang the bell. "'A lady to see you, sir,' the footman said to Monsieur Rambert. "'Bring her here at once,' said Monsieur Rambert, supposing that the man had kept the Baron de Vibray waiting in the anteroom. The drawing-room door was opened a little way and someone came in and stepped quickly into the shadow by the door. Therese, who had risen to hurry toward the visitor, stopped short when she perceived it was a stranger and not her guardian. Noticing her action, Monsieur Etienne Rambert turned and looked at the person who had entered. It was a lady. To what am I indebted? He began with a bow, and then having approached the visitor, he broke off short. Good heavens! The bell rang a second time, and on this occasion the Baron de Vibray hurried into the room, a radiant incarnation of gaiety. "'I am most dreadfully late,' she exclaimed, and was hurrying towards Monsieur Etienne Rambert with outstretched hands, full of some amusing story she had to tell him, when she too caught sight of the strange lady standing stiffly in the corner of the room with downcast eyes. Etienne Rambert repressed his first emotion, smiled to the Baron, and then went towards the mysterious lady. Madame, he said, not a muscle of his face moving, may I trouble you to come into my study. Who is that lady, Monsieur Rambert? said Therese, when presently Monsieur Rambert came back into the drawing-room. And how white you are! Monsieur Rambert forced a smile. I am rather tired, dear. I have had a great deal to do these last few days. The Baron de Vibray was full of instant apologies. It is all my fault, she exclaimed. I am dreadfully sorry to have kept you up so late, and in a few minutes more the Baron's car was speeding towards the Rue Boisset d'Anglais. Monsieur Rambert hurried back to his study, shut and locked the door behind him, and almost sprang toward the unknown lady, his fists clenched, his eyes starting out of his head. Charles, he exclaimed. Papa, the girl replied, and sank upon a sofa. There was silence. Etienne Rambert seemed utterly dumbfounded. I won't, I won't remain disguised as a woman any longer. 
I've done with it. I cannot bear it, the strange creature murmured. You must, said Rambert harshly, imperiously. I insist. The pseudo-Mademoiselle Jeanne slowly took off the heavy wig that concealed her real features, and tore away the corsage that compressed her bosom, revealing the strong and muscular frame of a young man. No, I will not, replied the strange individual, to whom Monsieur Rambert had not hesitated to give the name of Charles. I would rather anything else happened. You have got to expiate, Etienne Rambert said with the same harshness. The expiation is too great, the young fellow answered. The torture is unendurable. Charles, said Monsieur Rambert very gravely, do you forget that legally, civilly, you are dead? I would a thousand times rather be really dead, the unhappy lad exclaimed. Alas, his father murmured, speaking very fast, I thought your mind was more unhinged than it really is. I saved your life regardless of all risk, because I thought you were insane, and now I know you are a criminal. Oh, yes, I know things. I know your life. Father, said Charles Rambert with so stern and determined an expression that Etienne Rambert felt a moment's fear. I want to know, first of all, how you managed to save my life and make out I was dead. Was that just chance, or was it planned deliberately? Confronted with this new firmness of his son's, Etienne Rambert dropped his peremptory tone. His shoulders drooped in distress. Can one anticipate things like that, he said. When we parted, my heart bled to think that you, my son, must fall into the hands of justice and that your feet must tread the path that led to the scaffold, or at least to the galleys. I wondered how I could save you. Then chance, chance, mark you, brought that poor drowned body in my way. I saw the fortunate coincidence of a faint resemblance, and resolved to pass it off for you. I got those woman's clothes which you exchanged for yours, buried the dead man's clothes, and put yours on the corpse. Do you know, Charles, that I have suffered too? Do you know what agony and torture I, as a man of honor, have endured? Have you not heard the story of my appearance at the Assizes, and of my humiliation in court? You did all that, Charles Rambert murmured. Strange chance, indeed. Then his tone changed, and he sobbed. Oh, my dear father, what an awful fatality it all is! Suddenly he sprang to his feet. But I committed no crime, Papa. I never killed the Marquise de Langrune. Oh, do believe me! Why, you have just this minute said that you know I am not mad. Etienne Rambert looked at his son with distress. Not mad, my poor boy? Yet perhaps you were mad then. Then he stopped abruptly. Don't let us go over all that again. I forbid it absolutely. He leaned back on his writing table, folded his arms, and asked sternly, Have you come here only to tell me that? The curt question seemed to affect the lad strangely. All his former audacity dropped from him. Nervously, he stammered. I can't remain a woman any longer. Why not? snapped Etienne Rambert. I can't. The two men looked at each other in silence, as if trying to read one another's thoughts. Then Etienne Rambert seemed to see the inner meaning of the words his son had just said. I see, he answered slowly. I understand. The Royal Palace Hotel, where Mademoiselle Jeanne held a trusted post, has just been the scene of a daring robbery. Obviously, if anyone could prove that Charles Rambert and the new cashier were one and the same person. But the young fellow understood the insinuation and burst out. 
I did not commit that robbery. You did, Etienne Rambert insisted. You did. I read the newspaper accounts of the robbery, read them with all the agony that only a father like me with a son like you could feel. The detectives and the magistrates were at a loss to find the key to the mystery, but I saw clearly and at once what the solution of the mystery was. And I knew and understood because I knew it was you. I did not commit the robbery, Charles Rambert shouted. Do you mean to begin all your horrible insinuations again as you did at Beaulieu? He demanded in almost threatening tones. What evil spirit obsesses you? Why will you insist that your unhappy son is a criminal? I had nothing to do with those robberies at the hotel. I swear I had not, father. Monsieur Rambert shrugged his shoulders and clasped his hands. What have I done, he muttered, to have so heavy a cross laid on me? He turned again to his son. Your defense is childish. What is the use of mere denials? Words don't mean anything without proofs to support them. The lad was silent, seeming to think it useless to attempt to convince a father who appeared so certain of his guilt, and also crushed by the thought of all that had happened at the hotel. His father betrayed some uneasiness at a new thought that had come into his mind. I told you not to come to me again except as a last resource, when punishment was actually overtaking you, or when you had proved your innocence. Why are you here now? Has something happened that I do not know about? What has happened? What have you done? Speak! Charles Rambert answered in a toneless voice, as if hypnotized. There has been a detective in the hotel for the last few days. He called himself Henri Verbier, and was disguised, but I knew him, for I had seen him too lately, and in circumstances too deeply impressed upon my mind for me to be able to forget him, although I only saw him then for a few minutes. "'What do you mean?' said the elder man uneasily. "'I mean that Juve was at the Royal Palace Hotel.' "'Juve?' exclaimed Etienne Rambert. "'And then? Go on.' "'Juve, disguised as Henri Verbier, subjected me to a kind of examination, and I don't know what conclusion he came to. Then this evening, barely two hours ago, he came up to my room and had a long talk, and while he was trying to get some information from me about a matter that I know nothing about, for I swear, Papa, that I had nothing whatever to do with the robbery. He came up to me and took hold of me as a man does when he wants to make up to a woman. And I lost my head. I felt that in another minute all would be up with me, that he would establish my identity, which he perhaps suspected already, and I thought of all that you had done to save my life by representing that I was dead and... Charles paused for breath. His father's fists were clenched and his face contracted. Go on, he said. Go on, but speak lower. As Juve came close, Charles went on, I dealt him a terrific blow on the forehead, and he fell like a stone, and I got away. Is he dead? Etienne Rambert whispered. I don't know. For ten minutes, Charles Rambert remained alone in the study, where his father had left him, thinking deeply. Then the door opened, and Etienne Rambert came back carrying a bundle of clothes. There you are, he said to his son. Here are some man's clothes. Put them on and go. The young man hastily took off his women's garments and dressed himself in silence while his father walked up and down the room, plunged in deepest thought. Twice he asked, Are you quite sure it was Juve? And twice his son replied, Quite sure. And once again Etienne Rambert asked, in tones that betrayed his keen anxiety, Did you kill him? And Charles Rambert shrugged his shoulders and replied, 
I told you before, I do not know. And now Charles Rambert stood upon the threshold of the house, about to leave his father without a word of farewell or a parting embrace. Monsieur Etienne Rambert stayed him, holding out a pocketbook filled full with banknotes. There, take that, he said, and go. End of chapter 14